Welcome back to the Gymnasio Podcast. I'm your host, CJ Kobliska, and I'm here with the Michael Hughes of Gymnasio as well. We're going to be breaking down what it means to assess movement, what it looks like, what we're thinking about, how we talk to our client, and essentially how we process the information that comes in from the assessment and all little ins and outs, little nooks and crannies that confuse us, we get caught up on and start to isolate. How do we extrapolate and look at the body from a global perspective and a local perspective, while also assessing not just mobility, flexibility, but also strength and stability. So I am super pumped to have Michael on today because we have been running movement assessments now for quite a few years in a style called uh, 3D Maps, kind of a foundation found from Gray Institute. So thank you, Gary Gray, David Tiberio, uh, Doug Gray, for coming up with a cool assessment for us to understand how the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, and the transverse plane all work together to create a spherical movement and awareness in our body. So Michael, welcome on, my man. Hi, stoked to be back. It's been a while since we've come to this nice lumber yard here right in front of us. So excited to dive in, especially one of my favorite topics, the movement assessment, where we get to geek out and dive in deep. Welcome to the Gymnasio Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. Have you ever had a movement assessment done on you just in, in the history of sports and going through school? I mean, it could be as simple as a scoliosis assessment or a, a push-up assessment. What kind of assessment have you had done on you? Honestly, I've not had a movement assessment done on me until I went to the chiropractor probably five years ago. What, what was that like? It was very intimidating, to be honest with you. Nice person, nice chiropractor, a friend of mine, actually, or at least a, a, a colleague in the industry, I would say, at the very, very least. But it was instantly I wanted to put on my best show. I wanted to show everything I possibly could give them. I didn't want to have the idea that I was less than perfect. I've, I thought about this a, a lot. It was so interesting how much I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Don't ever find a fault. Like, don't show a, a, a fault, even though I was there to make my bones better aligned, my fascia better integrated with my tissue. You know, like all these different different things. But it was so fascinating. The ego uh, overcame <laughs> more so than anything else, and I uh, I remember that moment very very well. In high school, we certainly did workouts, but it was never an assessment. Besides, like a physical to get into football, but that was not a movement assessment. Um, and it really yeah, it took me probably up to you know, good old-fashioned 30 years before I had a movement assessment. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember getting my movement ever, ever 
assessed except for bending over doing the you know the the scoliosis and like the sit and reach test and yeah. stuff like I didn't really know what it meant when yeah, I was in I wouldn't really call that a movement assessment though I mean it certainly it was a physical assessment of yeah your, of your, it, yeah it was a performance assessment mm-hmm. which we'll talk about later so um, yeah that was very interesting it was very much um, gosh it was so ego driven I don't say it's like I was like type A, like I'm a badass, but it was just, I was very fascinating of how much I wanted to do so well. How did uh, the practitioner set the stage for that assessment? It was like, hey, we're just going to assess your movement today and we're going to do these things. Was there a certain intent or mission? Um, you guys are trying to get to the bottom of something that wasn't painful. Uh, what, was, what was the process of like starting that assessment? You just showed up and started moving or did they ask you to do some specific things perfectly? What was, what was that like? Yeah, it was uh, uh, more in a clinical setting versus a, tr- you know, than a, a training facility like we're in. Um, shoes off. And uh, it wasn't much chatter. It was, hey, let me just see how you're moving. And that was about it. Go ahead and follow me. Do this, do that. I actually don't remember all the details of the movement assessment, but it was definitely look to the right, look to the left. Bend forward, bend backwards. Squat, overhead squat. And then the rest is a bit fuzzy. But those ones were definitely like, it was definitely isolate the cervical spine, uh, it was definitely, um, lean forward and lean back. So sagittal plane kind of hip flexion, hip extension, thoracic spine flexion, hip thoracic spine extension, uh, overhead squat, which is the, the, uh, I guess the most well-known movement assessment known to mankind. And, um, that was about it to my memory. Did you pass or did you fail? I felt like I, f- I, f- I don't know. I don't remember if there was a score. It was just literally them writing on a clipboard. And it wasn't really feedback goal. It was just like, okay, this is what I see. And then from there, I got chiropractically adjusted. Hmm. And then they didn't retest. It was just, I mean, I get it. I won't say it was a bad experience. But um, it was certainly a limited experience from what we know now or what we do now. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, any any opportunity to assess movement. Anytime you move, there's an opportunity to assess yeah, movement. Yeah, every single workout is a movement assessment if you have the intent for mm-hmm. that process. But and a coach that has the eyes to assess your movement versus just to be a transaction and share this exercise. Again, nothing wrong with it, no harm, no foul, but there's opportunities that are often missed because, like, oh, we need to go into this specific assessment to look at right. how your legs work. It's like, yeah, but that, that exercise I just did was a squat or a lunge. Why couldn't we just assess that? Yeah. Why do I have to go change what I'm doing? You know, mm-hmm. we can assess every motion for what it is and and progress or degress and or regress rather and work it for the individual. Like what are they trying to get better at? Right. right. My, I guess what, uh, one of my first questions for you is like why should we be conducting movement assessments? Why should practitioners of chiropractic, of physical therapy, of of physical training, of restoration, of minute, you know, manual therapy, why assess movement? What's the point? Yeah, I was even boot camps. And the, I've, uh, I had to go through uh, premarital, premarital counseling to understand this answer uh, because we all come to every relationship with a dysfunction, with a chip on our shoulder, with something that we bring to the relationship that is not pure, clean, or perfect. I think that's pretty understandable, right? None of us are all perfect. And so training and conditioning programming is not perfect. Every person who walks through our facilities or any facilities doors or joins any boot camp workout brings with them a movement dysfunction. Doesn't mean it's pain. Doesn't mean it's a lack of 
um, awesomeness. It's just their body doesn't move perfectly because of an injury, because of a car accident, because of their right foot dominant, um, because they always decided to, I don't know, shovel from the right side in the snow. I, it doesn't matter, right? Our body always builds a pattern of efficiency, even though it may not be the best pattern. Um, so if that's the case, then we should probably understand what those patterns are to the best of our ability before they start a workout routine. And I remember when we didn't do that, you know, there's many years that we didn't do that. And we just waited until a problem arose. And then we would go and start to try to problem solve it. Then we said to ourselves, wait a minute, it would be really cool if the athlete and the coach knew before they started an actual program with us what their, at least their likelihoods are. You know, we can't predict the future, nor can you prevent injury. I don't, I, I've changed my tone now. There's no such thing as injury prevention training or injury of uh, avoidance training. It's basically you're going to get injured at some point because your body's not perfect. It's what you do about it. That's the change in the paradigm not avoiding injury. You can do your best, but there's no perfect. You cannot, you shouldn't judge yourself on like, oh, dang it, one of my athletes got injured. No, 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 it's what you do about it. That's the most important thing. Yes, we want to avoid as much as possible, but don't base your training or your success on how many injuries your clients have. It's their work, their recovery rate. Anyways, digressing. So we do it to one is we want to set the tone and the relationship so the athlete knows that they have a responsibility towards their own selves just as the coach has a responsibility towards their, our athletes. And it's that shared relationship that we're both working together to share information, collect inf information, and to be real. That hurt. Okay, thanks for telling me that. I had a client uh, conversation this morning, um, and they said to me, um, gosh, yeah, Monday's workout, we started a brand new quarter of, I didn't like it. And I literally took it as, Cool. They didn't necessarily love that drill. Single leg balance, coiling to the upward knee draw, you know, the case is. But really what they were saying is it hurt. And we had a one-on-one -on -one session day, a therapeutic session to kind of solve that problem. And I was like, yeah, I told you I, d I, I didn't like it. I was like, correct. You, you definitely did. What, but it's like, oh, okay, we don't have a communication problem. We have a quality of communication problem. And it's really just kind of having those conversations more and more. Like, it's okay to tell us these things. And when you have a movement assessment, you can kind of see, hey, your right lateral chain is pretty gunky. So um, when I have you do a lateral shuffle, I want you to know your knee, whatever the case is, is probably going to have a little bit more challenge with that. So it allows them to go into the program knowing that they have strengths, which we want to focus on, but also blind spots or weaknesses, in a sense, or dysfunctions that they want to avoid or not go 110% in, into until they're clearing the fascial network, quote-unquote, you know. That, that so. quality of communication, I think, is so important in differentiating between a trainer and a coach. Mm. Um, and I really think it comes down to how you see, how you, what lens are you looking through or lenses are you looking through as a practitioner? Are you looking to tell this person what to do and get their workout in and that's more of like a trainer. You're training them to move or to, to do something specific. Where a coach 
helps to set that that conversation, that quality of the conversation that helps teach the individual about themselves. And mm-hmm. we're not necessarily trying to tell them anything. We're just trying to share information that we see that we're able to collect as an outside lens looking in. We can't feel anything for them. We can only see things and potential. Right. And there's a fine line, I think, there between like negative talk and positive talk. And as a coach, it's kind of setting that environment and that stage for that conversation to be had where... Yeah, if you get something to complain about in a move, tell me what hurts, what's uncomfortable, where do you feel it? Because if you can tell me what you feel, now I can put myself in your shoes in the sense of I see how you move and I can kind of feel it for you. Oh my gosh, I just recognized a bailout in there. Somewhere you're not communicating proprioceptively, maybe a lack of priming. Mm-hmm. That's why you're in pain. Maybe there's no real injury. You're just not warmed up. Right. Maybe it's not that, it's that you have some underlying injury from the past that's now been brought up in this exercise that you've never done a lateral shuffle with toes straight ahead. You've always done it with toes out. And now all of a sudden you're getting knee pain in a shuffle. Is it the exercise that's causing pain or your body trying to accomplish a task that it's currently unable to fully do efficiently? And I think as a coach, if we're able to communicate these things and just open this conversation line or this channel of saying, hey, you tell me how you feel. I'm not going to try and tell you what to do. I'm just going to help you to understand how to maybe do this more efficiently in your body. Because mm-hmm. though we all have the same bones and same muscles and and it's the same way they attach, there's minor differences. And those minor differences in our entire body become a whole different global movement shape or pattern when we see them move, yeah, right? right. So it's like you got the cadaver science, which is very helpful and foundational. And then you also have real life behavioral and physical and biological sciences that you're dealing with or in applied functional science mm-hmm. um, that we're looking at it from multiple perspectives because it may not be a body issue. It may be a mental blockage that's preventing them from getting somewhere. And just by having that conversation, it's like, wow, I didn't even think about it that way. I thought I was just going to be debilitated the rest of my life and I, I would never be able to jump or run again. And to open up that conversation, I think is so, so powerful. Um, it's kind of going from a state of, of dis-ease to yep. ease, right? We're looking for those spots, that dysfunction. I think dysfunction, disease, those have like really negative connotations and, and like heavy weight on them. Like, Fair oh enough. gosh, disease, dysfunction. But if we can reframe that going, hey, there's it's, it's just not functional or it's not ease. Yeah, not yeah. ideal. That's what dis means. Right. But dis is just a little bit more of like a little jab in well, the side. Well, you got dis. Yeah, you got dis <laughs> by your body. Uh, changing the conversation or the, the way we speak about these right. things is, hey, it's not set in stone, but currently this is how your body's functioning on this track. Here's where you're going or where I've seen people go in this path. Mm-hmm. And now by just being able to assess and have this conversation, you're going to come out of that in a different way. You're yeah. not going to go be doing that same stuck path of the same loops, loops of getting injured and working out, getting injured, working out. It's um, breaking that cycle. It. Yeah. And a big thing that, that I've been working on that my family, my personal family has been working on is generational dysfunction. My parents, I love them to death. They're, but they were taught a certain way from their parents about how to raise children, how to navigate life, communication standards, what are good topics or bad topics. And that's been passed to me. Right, and everyone who can relate to this in some way, you know, we've all had this kind of generational teaching that's just been passed down, passed down. A lot of it's really good, but not all of it's really, really good. So, what are you going to do as your own generation to shift it for the next generation? Are you going to let it pass, or are you going to do some, something about it? So, I look at that same truth about the about the social standard of life as the physical standard of life. We all view it like, oh, it's just my human body; it should just operate every time I ask it to do something. In reality, 
It's talking to you, but we don't know how to listen. And pain is kind of the, is really like the final communication line. It's like, I'm actually, I'm literally breaking myself to do the task you want me to do, but I'm yelling. I wish you would listen to me when I was just talking. And so I say this saying before every movement assessment, um, and it was actually in a, in a prior podcast that we were both, both in, and she quoted me on it. I was like, wow, you actually wrote that down. <laughs> that quote is pretty cool. <laughs> but I say, my name is now Sherlock, and your name is now Watson. Sherlock is really good, but only as good as Watson allows him to be. I can see things that you can't feel because your proprioceptive system is used to it, towing in, towing out. You don't even know you're, you're doing it. But you can feel things that I can't see. Let's work together because I need your information and you need my information. And from that, we can build this construct that is, I don't want to use the word invincible, but it's really amazing starting, starting point. And I don't care what you can't do. I care what you can do because you're here to move, not to not move. So it's really focusing on, let me see where you're successful. And that's, where, that's our focus point. And we talk about, a lot about that. We care about success first. And then we feed in the dysfunction. You know, we solve for that later. Versus, well, depending on the case, if the dysfunction is so great, they, their, their, their success lines are so small, then we have to start a, start a, dis, a different baseline, one-on-one training, some private training before we go to group, et cetera. So... Sounds like you're trying to get down to the bottom of the truth, and the mm. truth is where's their where's their strengths and where's their weaknesses, or where are their blind spots, and really where has their awareness not gone? Because essentially, saying goes like where your awareness goes, your energy flows, mm. and yep. a lot of people there's just no awareness in a space, or there's, that's why they're coming to see you. They need some help, they need some guidance, or just that stepping stone to get them to their truth. And what I mean by truth is it's just kind of like we have the ability to move. Our joints have the ability to move, but they all rely on each other. And if we can understand that truth, our assessment should reflect that truth. Mm-hmm. Our assessment, I think where we're going is that a good assessment really looks at the body globally and locally. And I think so many assessments out there right now have a thorough understanding and a very deep understanding of very localized assessments in all three planes of motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are some other uh, maybe major uh, movement screens out there, movement assessments that you may know of? Um, I think one that we know is is FMS. That's probably the most popular one. You do a Google search on, on a movement screen, it pops up right on, right on top. Um, it's certainly on the, all the major conferences, t- um, colleges. Um, there are a few others, some research on, but... <sighs> FRC, that's another great one. They yep. like every joint, but almost like too much localized. Yeah. Ex- see a lot of mobile people on there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, there, there are. I would say those are the two. Besides 3D maps, there's really not that many. Like you would think, there would be a lot. And what there are is there, there are a lot of movement assessments. An overhead squat that is a movement assessment. It really is, mm. but it's only one one movement. Right. Um, gait, a gait uh, analysis, a phenomenal movement assessment. But a system, right? Just to kind of uh, clarify, are there? There's only like two or three, maybe uh, maybe four different movement systems that comprise multiple patterns to put into an assessment. And I'm sure there's a lot out there. A lot of practitioners have their own. It's just not commercialized. Um, to be honest with you, um, we certainly have our 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 own that is not commercialized. You know, we take 3D maps to start with, but then we dive deeper um, into other components of 
of movement, simple excursions of joints, patterns of joints, type one, type two. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but it's interesting is that you have to look at each one of them as like, what information are they telling you? That's the thing, the biggest question that like we need to ask. Like what you're gathering from yeah, the assessment? Like if you do this move, then this movement is only going to tell you this much information. When there's literally unlimited movement patterns that the human body is capable of, you only do one movement, an overhead squat, what is it going to tell you? Well, it's going to tell you a lot of things in the sagittal plane. Before we dive into yeah. like 3D maps and like our global and local approach, what are, maybe if like you had to choose one move, obviously there's, no, no, that's maybe fine. there is one, we haven't found it yet, but one movement that tells you the most information and like, so if you like, you were given um, a handful of clients and yeah. you're saying, all right, you get, there's five coaches that they're going to choose from and you've got basically one move to take them through that's going to help you educate them on where they're at currently and where they could go but also gives you an understanding of joint mobility, their body strength, coordination. Like what, what would you do? Would you use a piece of equipment? Would you put them into a position? This is something that this I often question. ask myself. That's a great question. Because I think there is, there is quite a few um, tasks or skills out there mm-hmm. that you could take a person through. And be like, I know a lot more about you now than I did two minutes ago because of how your body just showed me. So this is great because the way I look at it, there's no, there's no perfect answer. That's how. I, that's where my mind's going. Okay, dang it. I have to find a balance of good and bad because one move is going to tell you a lot about one thing but very little about something else. And I, don't, I want to give a really good, thorough answer here. But uh, my This mo- can evolve. This, yeah. this will change. But if, I, if someone said you have to pick one pattern, then it would be a step pivot. It would be gait. But, I, you know, gait is several motion patterns. So I have to pick one. That's why I'm, I'm trying to get real, real, real detail. It's basically start yourself in a stride stance position with opposite hand in front as the, as the lead foot and then literally shift to the next stance pattern and shift the hands. Because gait is several patterns, right? It's, it's a continual one. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying you to get... You can assess it from many different angles, yeah. Right. You know, so I'm trying to think, I got one movement. I got one TZ1 to one TZ2 or one, you know, then it would be a step pivot. Cool. Load to explode. I think yeah. I would choose something similar. I'd, do, I'd choose a forward lunge with the same side rotation type one reach to type two reach. Because then it's going to give me a good I like that. assessment of the posterior diagonal mm-hmm. and the anterior diagonal. If I go left foot lunge forward, right hand across, left hand overhead, yeah. I'll be looking at that whole like left glute, left core mainly, like mm-hmm. seeing how they land, but then also keeping that same stride, rotate left their left hand, reach their right hand overhead, assessing the opposite side hip. Are those two motions now? Uh, no, it's, it's one position <laughs> with two swings. Okay. But enough. if I had to pick one of those, just the type one. I, I want to see type. how their booty's working. Yeah. Yeah. But that butt's not, not able to load. They've been doing lots of good bridges. I'm going to tell. Yeah. They so, got a nice butt, but they can't load it. Right. I get it. So, we're, so just for everyone listening, we're saying gate is probably our biggest focus point. That can tell us the most amount of information um, in the least amount of movement patterns. Because that's what everybody's doing walking in right. here. They're getting that's, the most reps of that every single day. I, that is the one topic we are always working out. Right now, you and me are working out sitting. That's a, yeah. that's a workout right now. What do we do the second most often? Walk. 
That's a fun one we could break down another podcast. How do you sit? Because <laughs> you may look at what I'm doing, but you don't know what I'm thinking or feeling right now. Yeah, or where my tension is. Or yep. I'm sitting very intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> most of the time, yeah, not. Most but, of the time, not, but yeah. So, all right. If, if gait is a great assessment, like why? what makes gait such a great assessment? And is there a way to extrapolate those pieces? I think we do a phenomenal job using Gray Institute's 3D maps, but mm-hmm. then using that even deeper and talking about fascial lines, stuff you'll find in anatomy trains, you yep. know, Tom Myers, and stuff that you'll find um, in, in fascial tissue textbooks, um, mm-hmm. even in rolfing and yep. talking about how these lines are working on a table and working on it versus now in function, working with gravity, ground reaction force, mass and momentum, fancy words for physics, just the forces of nature. How do we interact with those? So how would you break down that, uh, comparing that gait assessment mm-hmm. and now pull it into kind of how we view this from a more of a spherical or yeah, shape view. Yeah. Right? So gait is, um, is from visual look, it's a very forward and backwards pattern because you see the legs going behind you and in front of you. You know, that's very obvious. You also see the hand, one hand sneak behind you, other hand sneak in front of you. So you think, oh, it's a very forward and back type of thing. And you're literally traveling forwards. So to me, it's like, oh, that's a very dominant, single-plane type of way the body moves. But that's only from the surface view. In the grand scheme of things, if you break it way down, it's actually a massive rotational pattern with a little bit of lateral that produces forward sagittal plane type movement. It's that spinal twist. It's that thoracic spine turn. It's that pelvis turn. Supination and pronation are very rotational dominant movement patterns that have some left and right in it too. But they're so small. I really love this whole, I say this very, very, very often. If you look at a massive cruise ship, it's going forwards. But what you don't see is under the water the propeller rotating. And how big is that propeller or the propellers compared to the size of the ship? It's a spin. A car is going forwards, but what's making it go forwards? Rotation. It's just, you just keep going and going and going and going and going and going. Yeah, it's My all brain exploded. Rotation, rotation, rotation. That's why we focus so much on it, because it, it, it is the propeller, pun intended there, of the human body. So if we can understand how well the pelvis rotates, how well the thoracic spine counter-rotates to the pelvic's rotation, and the sequencing and timing of that event... I know that's a lot to think about. Then we can dramatically understand someone's potential for, for movement and where they're gunky, where they're not gunky, where they're maybe kind of just too flaccid, right? They're, it's there, but they're mm-hmm. not activating it, priming, as we would kind of um, say it. And it's kind of hard to see. It'd be really cool if you could fly a drone over that person. You could see a lot better, but we have to see it from a, from a uh, horizontal viewpoint. So if we can understand rotation is the way to look at it, then if we can take our 3D maps report and we can isolate rotational patterns, then we can see a a broader picture from global to local. And that's what I really love about our assessment that we use is that we see the big picture, but then we start to kind of skydive deeper to the ground. And we can say, let me see that ankle move. Even though it's a global movement, we're looking at the ankle. Even though it's a global movement, we're looking at the right hip only in external rotation. Even though it's a global movement, we're looking at the thoracic spine rotation, not looking at the shoulders, not looking at where the hands go, purely looking at where kind of each right side of the chest goes, whatever you want to kind of pick it out, right? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we're made of a right and left side. We have a top and we have a bottom. We have an upper half and a lower half. Yeah. We have a front and a back. We have a like a we have a lot of these different dimensions we have to assess from. So we've got to look at this from a four D lens, really, three D lens in the sense of space and movement and sequencing and time and working with the physics of it, you know, the forces of it all. But also from a 4D perspective saying, all right, we got to allow this information to just be absorbed and not get caught up in one thing. Right. Because if we get caught up in one thing, we may be chasing after a rabbit that was never really there. Right. It was like, damn it. Totally get it. I spent six weeks working on this and it wasn't the damn ankle that was causing her damn ankle pain. It was the thoracic spine's inability to rotate to the right side. Right. Ah. (laughs) How? Right. A lot of time and a lot of money underutilized. I don't want to use the word wasted. Not underutilized. Time and movement is valuable. Right. Time and movement with intent is more valuable. Time and movement with intent with the path to grow into better movement mechanics like that. You can't put a price on that. You move better. You feel better. You live better. You have more vitality in your life. You're able to be with your family and do your things. Like you have so much mental real estate once you've understand the path out of your feedback loop of discomfort and pain. Oh, I gotta say or just not yeah. even pain, just plateaus of training. Like, yeah. What's stopping me? Oh, I'm not lifting heavy enough. No, I just haven't done a rotational lunge ever with weight. Right. That could be the key to unlocking, getting out of that plateau. Right. This morning, true story, client comes in, really wants to work out, but they have movement pain as they work out, but they don't want to stop the bus to fix it. They want to keep the bus going and us work on it at the same time. Not ideal, but it's what they want. Okay, I can work with that. At least they know that what we're doing is going to be more complicated and a little slower of a process. That's fine. This person's had lower back hip pain for five years. By taking that movement that they didn't like, when I, when, you know, that kind of single leg coil, that was a movement assessment, very localized. She showed me exactly what hurt. Broke down the chain of what's lengthening and shortening and went after what wasn't maybe lengthening enough. In 30 minutes of just soft tissue work, she went back, stood up, did the motion, walked around, and literally said, I always have a 5 out of 10 pain just standing. It's zero. In 30 minutes, we, re- we removed five years of pain. Now, did it, is it going to stay away? No, it's not. Not yet. Not yet. But if we can do that with a movement assessment, seeing eye, have the eyes that see movement via the lens of physics, not our own dogma, not just one pattern, but physics, and we can do that, we have the power to do that, to help someone change the environment of that, of that body, to retension it in a way, just via soft tissue work, yeah, we got to do stretching, we got to do training, no question about that, to keep it there. That's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, man. Like, but it's also a scary yeah. thing. Like, as a coach, think about like those first few times leading like a 3D map and you discovering something or you see an exercise that causes pain. You're like, your mind goes a million different directions. Like, I'm going to go this direction without the full framework of looking at something globally and knowing, okay, I could do, somebody says this hurts. I'm going to get them on the table, do some soft tissue around that space. And like, I think it's coming from this other area. Thinking is powerful, but it may not get you to the place you need to go because we're going right. kind of around the truth. We're going what we think is the truth versus assessing and seeing, can I prove myself wrong of where we're going? Yeah, it's always trying to prove yourself right and wrong at the same time. Because you just prove yourself right, you're going to be right, and right. then you're going to be wrong, wronger than ever. Yeah. <laughs> but if you try to prove yourself wrong and you're like, I've done 10 of the things that didn't counteract what I, or didn't tell me that I was wrong. Okay, I'm gonna go this route, go soft tissue, and then come out of it, and then to see that there's less discomfort 
virtually none, their body now experiences less discomfort and goes, I trust this individual, but also I trust this practice. I don't know how it worked, Mm -hmm. but I hope that I will learn along the way. I mean, eventually we want to get them to be able to do this themselves. Like, okay, go use the foam roller, go do a stretch or go do these things. So when you get that discomfort, as opposed to going, ah, I need to like rest for a few days and do nothing. Maybe it's your body's way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. Go do this thing instead. It's like if you have the natural tendency and the reaction to go, I have a um, headache. I'm going to go take ibuprofen. Well, have we ever tried foam rolling our neck or mid-back or an armpit space that goes up into the head? And like, okay, you got to spend four minutes getting uncomfortable, but do you walk out of that going, I feel so much better? Mm-hmm. And I did that with the power of my own choice to roll and to create pressure and to interact, or did I have to just try to mask it? Right. I th- if we're in pain, get out of pain. I get it. But if totally you find it. a way that's successful to get you out of pain and stay out of pain, right. I think everybody would go that route. The hardest part is it takes effort and it takes knowledge from the coach to be able to help somebody write that narrative or to understand. Because you can give somebody the greatest workout or the greatest foam roll strategies or the greatest soft tissue work, but if they don't know how or why that worked, they're going to have to keep relying on you just like they were relying on something else to get them out of it. Exactly. And I, I, I say this saying often, I said, my best business practice is for you not to need me. And they kind of look at me like, what? Then I stop paying you. I know. You go tell other people. That's the best business That's a win-win-win. That's the win-win-win because guess what? There's 7 billion people in this world, and we all, at one point in our lives, will have s- pretty serious movement pain. I'll take 7 billion clients. <laughs> Do you not be? That's too many. But you know, yeah, take you know, as many as will come in to come see exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah, we are not at a shortage of clientele. We're at a shortage of people understanding what's possible with their own self-power to correct. And again, it's not that they're not ever going hit, to hit, hit movement pain. Again, it's what they do about it. It's always what they do about it. Advil works great, but also destroys your stomach lining. A foam roller doesn't do any of that. It doesn't, and it probably takes just as long to activate. You know, I don't know. Like it still takes a few minutes for that Advil to get into your blood, bloodstream. Probably take just as much time to get on a foam roller. The hard part is not all headaches are movement-related things. I mean, you know, I get it. But, um, yeah, it's the biggest things. I want you to never need me anymore. That's success. That's results. I don't want clients anymore. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> uh, but we all know that human body is a progressive organism that never finds its threshold of end. So we convince them, not necessarily convince they convince themselves to continue to push. I think the 3D maps addresses this truth from a movement side of it that, like, okay, if we're looking looking for balance, homeostasis, centeredness, like just feeling like we are home in our body, we are rarely in that space right now, especially in the Western world, especially just right now with the circumstances we're in in life. We're being thrown forward, back, sideways, all different directions, mentally and physically and spiritually too. And I think what the 3D maps does so well is set an environment and a stage to recognize that we are our body and we are also the space around our body. We are a a space of potential. Awesome. Awesomely said. Right? Yep. We take ourselves through, I like to think of 3D maps even deeper as a north and south pole and an east and west. We're a right and left side, but we have directions that our body can travel relative to our intent. So if we're like, okay, we tell our body to move forward, we move forward. If we tell our body to move backwards, we move backwards. If we tell our body to move to the right, there's so many ways to move forward and back and side to side and even to rotate. But uh, as 
we see individuals take more revolutions around the sun, they age, and they don't do any kind of body audit in their poles. They don't know the ends or the bounds of their sphere forward and back, right and left, top to bottom. At some point, life is going to throw them into that part of their sphere. They're going to trip and move to the front angle of their sphere. Mm. If they've never visited that space or they're unaware of communicating with that potential, that that potential of where I could be, that's going to be a reaction of fear or like you either fight, flight, or fleet, fight, flight, or freeze, mm. right? So if you want to fight that, you're going to fight the ground. If you're going to go to trip, you're like, I'm going to stay up. You could flee and just kind of keep running out of that position. And you could also freeze and then just fall down and hit. And I think the 3D maps sets us up to just visit these spaces that many people have not visited intentionally. Mm -hmm. So if we visit it intentionally, now any time in life we're going to face that part of our sphere back behind us in rotation or in front of us to either side, our body already has a recollection of visiting that space that we're going to be able to process that visitation much quicker. It becomes less reaction of, I don't know what to do, oh shit, things are going to hit the fan, to, I've been here before, and now proprioceptively, we're processing so much quicker because our body has has felt that interaction with gravity, with ground reaction force as our foot hits, with um, the mass and momentum we're carrying something and going over. Have we swung anything? Have we thrown anything that puts hmm. us a little off of our center? And so getting back to that poles, it's understanding how far north can you go relative to your center. How right. far south can you go? And can you ebb and flow through your center with ease versus just staying strict, stiff, and neutral spine and bracing your core? Right. Because if we're doing that, when we go out of our circle or out of our, or out of, from center, our body's going to fight to get back to that center. But what if we were able to travel through and visit that north and south end or east and west end and just start to add some variety so our body experiences? Like, what's it like to crossover step? What's it like to do a single leg? What's it like to have my eyes closed doing this? And just set that environment so proprioceptively we're processing so much more information that we're now, instead of uh, not using it and losing it, we're using it and continuing to gain awareness in it. Yeah, that's uh, that's really, it's having memory actively, or excuse me, memory so close to the surface you can grab it and use it. So here's a quick little tip from a buddy of mine who works at Apple. He says, do not shut your apps. Don't fully close them down because you're actually going to use more battery power to pull that app back up when you need it. It's actually your phone runs more efficiently when you keep apps open in the background because the memory is still there. It's a, it's a shorter loop cycle, just like our proprioception is. If we can easily pull from muscle memory, quote unquote, I know it's not really that, but you know the neuromuscular connection, if we can pull from that quicker, then we can react faster. We can save ourselves. We can perform better. We can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So keep that memory close by. Don't shut it down. Don't close it. Always keep all your movements excessively open for when you need it. And how do you do that? You practice them. You go to them. You, you say, okay, where's, where's my North Pole today? We, that's why we do our warm-up is our warm-up. It's because we uh, every single day we assess how far can I go forward, backwards, left, right, crossover step, open rotation, close rotation before we go exercise. It's a diagnostic test. It, te- tell, it tells that athlete, ooh, well, that's a little tough. That's a little tough. Two, one weekend ago, two weekends ago, um, I was uh, potty training my little Jackson. Three days, I did not leave the house. 
I did not even get out of my PJs because it was focused on making sure this guy was set up for success later on in his life. I went and did a warm-up to, t- to coach my first class after that three-day weekend. I went to the posterior chain. I almost threw out my lower back. You felt that twinge. We've all felt it like, ooh, there's my lower back. I did a diagnostic test. I said, oh, interesting. My posterior chain is tight. I wonder why. Oh, because I did nothing for three days and just sat around making sure this person could go poop on a potty. <laughs> I instantly said, ooh, let me stretch my hamstrings a little bit more. Profound. Redid that same movement pattern, zero sensation. Did the whole workout, zero sensation. You tell me you had back pain. You moved, and you didn't take a bunch of medicine. And had no back pain. Wow. I know. <laughs> I know. Ten years ago, I said, you're full of crap, man. Because nothing from my traditional education taught me that. No, nah, man, you're just young. When you get old, you'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I understand more when I'm older. I hope I understand about <laughs> movement, yeah. Yes. Yes, our machine will wear. Yes, our joints will get less capable in high-end performance, and our performance will drop, drop, drop. But that does not mean we have to live in pain. If someone's listening to that over the age of 40, please, some things are irreversible. Most things aren't. Our body's very adaptable. Very adaptable. Uh, tell me more about 3D maps. I, I know we talk about this a lot, but for our listeners especially, like how we t- mentioned like gait can be broken down into all the three, three dimensions and essentially the poles of north, south, east, west, and then rotation. Why is 3D maps such a great deeper assessment than just looking at gait. I think gait's, gait's great just to get an overall view of a global function that's right. subconscious. Right. Get some video of it because after you do 3D maps and then you watch it again, you'll probably see somebody move much better just by going through 3D maps. What is it about the 3D maps that has very similar principles to what we find in gait? Yeah, that's a great, great question. 3D maps is great because it takes the cardinal motions, forward and back, side, side, spin, spin. The six, I, would, I call them that, the six cardinal movement patterns. And it says, let's move, move purely in each one of them. Very purely. It's actually very, it's not a very functional movement pattern because we're moving pure in each one, which we don't really do in human nature. What do you mean by pure? Like we're taking every joint and taking it through extension at the same time. We're taking every joint and moving it through flexion, right lateral, left lateral, external rotation or right or left rotation. We're taking them all together at the same time. So the ankle, the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, the spine, the shoulder, the head, even your mind is even being your mind. stretched yeah. out in right. a sagittal pole. And we can even go in more detail on the joints than, than you just said. Mm-hmm. You got it. Do we actually move like that in real life? No, we don't. But it allows our eyes to see in a pure function, in a pure pattern. And we can really see fascial lines very quickly. Because there's not like, because in gait, you have rotation right this way, rotation left this way, lateral bend this way, dorsiflexion this foot, plantar flexion in that it's foot. It's a tribrid. You yeah, got it's all three just planes. all the, so it's just the processing power is a lot higher. You have to have a much greater skill as a coach. People do it all the time. And all those coaches listening, if you do that and you can see it, good for you. I'm sure it, take you, it took you years to get to that point. We can do it too, but I'd really like to make my job easy. But more importantly, I want my athlete to feel it. They don't feel gait because they do it so often. It's so, it's so, so if we can take the anterior plane, anterior chain, basically think about your chest, your core, your front hips, your quads, to, to 
And we've got to go back half when we, when, when we do that because it shifts. But in any case, and just stretch it all out. Just mobilize it. And then stabilize it. Two different moves. And then do the posterior chain. We can see very purely what's going on. Then when we see the anterior chain is not moving very well and the rotational chain is not moving well, then we start to piece together those two planes. To see like, oh, that's why your backswing or your golf is not very good. You know, or I'm making st stuff up now, right? But we piece together, so we basically have this kind of like we're collecting pieces of evidence, data, really, and then we take those pieces of data and combine them, we have a triplane a tri focus. And that's why I love about 3D maps so much. It goes super global, but it teaches you how to look at each joint in a pureness that makes it very simple to see, well, relatively simple to see in, in, in comparison. And then from there, you start to piece together the puzzles the piece together the puzzle pieces, excuse me. And piece that, together the puzzle pieces. <laughs> and that allows you to make strategies. And it doesn't give you one strategy. It gives you at least a handful. And then you start playing the game. What's the best strategy I should start with? Okay, what's the best strategy this person wants to start with? And then you go down the path. You start programming to solve those different things. It almost gives you permission to um, shift the protocol. Like what it, so whatever protocol you have of like, okay, but this person's got this knee pain or this person's got the shoulder pain. If you take them through a 3D map and then you go through that protocol, you now have the, kind of this ability to tweak that protocol relative to the individual. So if you're used to using like a protocol of like a score-based thing, mm -hmm. well, you take them through all these assessments, but does it ever give you a global view of how they're moving in their sphere, like in 3D space? I think everything in this 3D reality is spherical. I mean, you think about any, like, we can go deep in, like, platonic solids and stuff, but it all comes in, into a giant sphere. That's we're awesome. living on a sphere, we're in a sphere, and every joint has a sphere of potential. Right. Your shoulders, your thoracic spine, your hips, and your ankles have a larger sphere of potential because of all the degrees of freedom in all three planes of motion. Right. But if we go open chain and you're just on a table and you're just moving an ankle around, it's going to give you a bunch of, like, oh, yeah, I can move it in sagittal. I can dorsiflex and plantar flex. I can evert and invert, and I can internally and externally rotate. Right. But as soon as that foot's on the ground... That foot's not an open chain. It's now closed. It's locked down. Mm -hmm. How is the body on top going to ref refer to the motion that's available at the ankle now that we've got compression in that joint? Right. Now that we've got compression in the hip, does that hip still have the ability to flex and extend and abduct and adduct and internally externally, ro externally rotate relatively and with a chain reaction communication with the lower and the upper half? Well, if that's like I don't even know what that means. We have to look at it from a, that local perspective that every joint has potential. Even the knee has 3D potential, mm -hmm. though it should primarily be flexing and extending. It has the ability to go through the frontal plane and the transverse plane. But if our ankle and hip don't have the ability to move, now our knee has to be asked then. So how do we recognize, damn, that knee is hurting them? It's not a knee issue. It could be ankle or hip issue. And that's where the 3D maps start to address. Well, is it in the front and back? Is it in the north and south pole? Right. Is yeah. it in the east and west pole? Or is it in rotation? It's probably going to be in some combination of those. And so I think as we develop our eyes and our lenses to see that sphere, like what are we actually looking at? Well, we're looking at shapes, curves. We're looking at intention, like can they tell their body what to do and does their body do it? So more so coordination. Yeah, we got to ask, are they telling deal. their body the right thing? Mm -hmm. Or are they so scared about being perfect that they're so stiff and rigid because they're coming here to pass the test? It's right. like, hey, can we just now take this behaviorally and say, listen, you're going to pass. You're here. It's my job just to see where you're at in your sphere. There's no better. There's no worse. It's simply where do you want to be and where are you currently? Can we, can we get you to where you want to be and beyond that? And so it's looking at the shapes. It's looking at the tensions. It's looking at the intentions. And then in real space, like, 
are they able to just move fluidly? Are they able to just interact with the forces and not be scared at the ground? I think so often we see in 3D maps that people just are afraid of gravity, afraid of ground reaction force. Man, that is... That's really what we're so assessing. So true. Gosh, they're afraid of gravity. What's your relationship? Yeah. Relationship like with gravity. I'm yeah. afraid of falling. You're, a, you're even a scary relationship because you're not going to run away from gravity. It's always there. Right. Um, and that 3D maps, I think, pulls us into that. It gators all three planes of motion at once. Are we able to pull it apart and say, like, how does your sagittal plane, how does your frontal plane, how does your transverse plane space and potential um, What's that look like in your own mind? Yeah. It's like exploding something out. And you see how something's made and that the graph just goes and just spreads out like a massive uh, accordion. And you can see it like, oh, an interesting relationship between those two components. But when it's compressed together, ooh, it's pretty tough to see. And that's what 3D Maps does. It, it explodes or allows you to dive in and separate out the pieces. Again, you still know, need to know what you're looking for. Um, you made a, a really cool, cool point about um, taking this relationship of open chain and closed chain, if we test someone passively, we're now, pr- mm. we're now putting extra muscles, external muscles, your own muscles as the practitioner testing that joint out. It doesn't operate that way. If I put two hands on, on a leg and take it through a passive supine 90 degree bend going towards the ceiling, I'm testing the, what the joint's capable of doing but it's doing it with two other arms moving it. It's more so you're assessing the accessibility and availability of a joint to go through motion, but not necessarily like the capacity but or the how capa- it actually works. Exactly, because it has to do it on its own. And, and in a lunge, and in a squat, yeah. and in a step up, yeah. and in a kick. Right? So yeah, so like to me, like I've just, all these tests that we were taught, at least in kinesiology school, quote unquote, was like open chain, open chain. Yeah, we can see how the joint moves, but that's not how the joint actually moves. It has force it has compression it has tension and um honestly i just didn't even i didn't even think of those things as a possibility then i just believed what i was being told i don't say there's anything wrong with that once again but it's like it's limited it's limited there's so many layers that can help you don't have to like assess all these layers at one time but to have an assessment that allows you to dive into different intentions or different lenses it's like i imagine you have like a red pair of sunglasses, a blue pair of sunglasses, a orange pair of yeah. sunglasses, a clear frame. You got your blue light frame. You got all these different pieces for different reasons. One's for style, one for flair, whatever else. One's for function of your eyes. But you're looking through different lenses and seeing different pieces. One's for the joints. One's for the fascia. One's for the muscles. One's for their intent. One's for just the sake of the shit. Like we're we're seeing through now all these lenses on at once, and yeah. then we're able to we're becoming like these uh these cyborgs oh maybe we are maybe we're able to see these things like just all these different pieces at once i don't know i see when i'm looking at somebody's body like there's an invisible bubble around them yeah oh yeah and like i'm gonna see where the top of their bubble is the size of the bubble are though it doesn't really exist it's where they can go to does it not exist and maybe we're learning how to see it it's always been there Mm -hmm. we're all in giant spheres and we're all bubble boys and girls we just have the ability we just need to practice seeing that bubble there's something called air pressure <laughs> constantly pushing us. And it has one atmospheric pressure all the time. I'm just saying. <laughs> doesn't mean air is not there. We are just a bunch of bubbles of potential. <laughs> wow. Stepping into the quantum field in real life. Uh, yeah, you can't see Wi-Fi, but it works. It works. It's there. It's there. Going right through you. 
Okay. What's, what's the difference? The next what's the di- <laughs> we, you, we get lost in here. Uh, what's the difference between like a performance assessment versus a movement assessment? Yeah. Because so I think there's way more performance one. assessments out there, and every right. gym's got their own. Right. Yeah. So uh, just to, just to how we define it, performance assessment assesses what is the body in its current state. How can it actually again use the word perform? You know, from, from what we call it from a health neutral to a, to a to health or health minus to health plus, right? So like a push up, a run pull-ups, you know, all those things, we look at it as a performance things. We don't really care how the joint does it, relatively speaking. We see just what is the, what is the quantity of it, not necessarily the quality of it. So those are really good performance tests because you want to see, do you have a client who can do um, run around your building in 45 seconds and two months later they can do it in 35 seconds? Awesome results. It's truly but are you really measuring the quality of how they did that? Now they did it in 35 seconds, but then now they have knee pain. Is that really the results that they, that they want? More than likely not. So a movement assessment is, to me, the quality of the performance, and the performance is the um, quantity, to simp- just to try to put it in as simple terms as possible. So joint range of motion, Mobility, stability through active joint ranges of motion, movement assessment, and then put all those things together to accomplish tasks, push-ups, pull-ups, running, sit-ups, quote-unquote, sled pushes for time. Um, That is a performance assessment. I'm going to see it too. Like, I mean, performance assessment is in a bubble of movement assessment. Like Mm. there's a giant bubble that says movement assessment. Outside of there is like life assessment or just like there's mm, like a bigger like piece that. and then it gets yeah. down into that performance side of it. Yeah. If we're looking at it from a Gray Institute side of things or AFS perspective, um, and what we've adopted so well is kind of the the, the OEs, the observational yeah. essentials, is that a performance assessment looks at rate, duration, and load. Mm-hmm. So how fast you can go, um, how much weight you can do, for how long, for how can, long you can you do it, yep. endurance, strength, speed, all that good stuff. Um, where a movement assessment is going to look at more your triangulation. Mm-hmm. It's going to look at your ability to go through the XYZ plane, which direction you're going to go relative to the task. Yeah. What is environment can you do squat? it in? Yeah, yeah. What environment are you going to do it in on sand versus flat ground versus mm-hmm. a court? You yep. know? You're looking at uh, also the height. Like, can you go overhead? Can you go to the ground? Can you go below? Like a negative right. reach. And the driver. Can your eyes take you there versus your trunk take you there? Yeah, that's a really funny thing. Like, I, the, the driver is such a massively undervalued thing. Look to your right. Ooh, I can't as far as I can go left. Okay, now take your hips there first. Oh, it's problem, problem solved. Yeah, to pivot, you're going to become an owl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so it's really fascinating. Like, what, what body part took you there? You know, and we think about it often. We play, play tennis. What was our driver? The hand in the racket. Was that really the, the driver? No, you say no way. A tennis player, my pelvis was, or a boxer or a martial artist, right? What was the end result? Well, what started that sequence? The one-inch punch, the Bruce Lee. It wasn't his hand. It wasn't his hand. That wasn't the drive. That wasn't the started the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can understand that, that's a high-level performance. Let's break it down to picking up your child, going grocery shopping, getting in and out of your car. What moved first? And typically, I think our sequencing is off, or our I'm, driver sequencing. I mean, and I think our body naturally does that. Like, it finds the effic- most efficient way to do something. Right. But it no. gets caught up in its version of what's most efficient. Right. It may not be the most effective, though. 
Yeah, or maybe it is effective. You did pick up your kid and put him in the car, but now you're hurt. So it's like depending on your lens, now you're looking at Fair it. Fair enough. Frame yeah. it. I'm just going to, I'm a challenger, man. I'm going to challenge you. And I bring it. Unintentionally bring it. to. Yeah, bring it. But it's in the sense of, all right, your body knows how to do one thing and knows how to do a couple of different things, but let's show you another way to do it. And does your body recognize that that felt better? If it recognized that it felt better, meaning there was less discomfort or less restriction, less limitation, it felt easier mm-hmm. from a dis ease to now ease, Mm -hmm. your body's going to remember that because it was efficient and effective, right? So it could be effective in the sense that you got the task done and did it quickly. It could be efficient in the sense that you used as little effort as possible, but there's different ways to look at efficiency and effectiveness depending on the task. So let's just use those two words and then understand that when we provide options to our body that it hasn't thought about, it likes to go to its attractor wells and like what it prefers to do, even if it's painful, but it knows that that's a better way than doing it another way. We hold ourselves a certain way mm. to not get in more pain. We're in pain, but there's things that cause more pain. We're probably going to do the thing that is less painful, but we may not know the spot without pain. So we're living in the state of discomfort and dis-ease because it's getting us by. We're not getting worse. We're not getting better. But over time, it's probably going to get worse because it's not comfortable, right? That's how it goes. We accept that story. Yes. I accept your challenge, and I think you said it better (laughs) than I I did. Well, thanks. (laughs) I think we came to it together. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. And Uh, this is is now, we've been talking about disease a lot, but we're also talking about not dis-ease, not does-ease. But we're also looking at this fact of, like, performance. All those professional coaches out there that, that, excuse me, all those athletes out there that are hired that hire coaches to move them in a professional or a collegiate world it's no different the conversation does not change if you can juke me on the football court the basketball court football court nice did i, did I say football i court? know what you meant i told you football field basketball court if you've listened to this podcast long enough you realize i say things that make very little sense in <laughs> basic english anyways and many things that are very profound and magical so thank you <laughs> thank you um carries over to that end too. If you can get into a little bit more triplane loading through that knee, you're going to be a lot faster on that field or court. And it's the same sequence, the same thought process that we're using in, in 3D maps. Just because it's a painful motion doesn't mean that's where it's limited to. It also goes to the way end of the, end of the spectrum to high-end performance, speed, strength, power, you name it, accuracy, it all carries over. And one thing we didn't really mention, but is so important, is that this 3D maps, this this foundation, it allows you to focus on the individual's ability relative to the right and left sides and the up and bottom. We mentioned that, top and bottom, mm-hmm. front and back, whatever. But doesn't necessarily give you something to compare it to in an overall scoring of like they have to get here. So you're working with somebody who's 70 years old versus somebody who's 25 years old, their anterior lunge with extension is going to be entirely different, most likely. Yep. But just because the 70-year-old's range was less doesn't mean that they're going to be worse off because that may be symmetrical on either side while the 25-year-old has way too much mobility on one side and too strong on another. Yep. So who's in the better boat? Well, it depends on what we're trying to look at. Right. Are they in pain? No. Okay, but you recognize an imbalance in the 25-year-old. Guess what happens is going to happen to the imbalance in 15, 20, 30 years that you just caught? Right. They felt fine, but you recognized it. Mm. It's that person that you're going to help. That 70-year-old that's in symmetry, that they're being told they need to go deeper. It's like, no, you are working just fine. Like You don't need to be carrying 50 pounds in either hand lunging forward. What in your life is asking you that? Maybe they do need to when they're 70 years old yeah. and they're carrying uh, firewood. And 
in either hand, and they need to be able to do that. So it's in reference to the individual's success threshold, both in um, availability of motion and capacity of motion. Yeah. And I think it's such an important statement because a lot of other assessments don't look at that. It's like it's, it is an overall score, or they need to be here. And it's like, then you have, okay, a path to get them better, but what is that doing in the long run? Is it making better at passing the assessment or making them better at passing life? in better ease of motion. Yeah, I like that. Don't get tied up into an assessment that just you try to make the assessment a better score. That's not the result we're ever trying to do. We don't want to make their assessment better. We want to make their life outside of your facility sport better. If they're a professional athlete or a collegiate athlete, yes, their sport needs to be better. That is the test, not the assessment. And that's why we don't, that's why, not we, but we don't, we like the fact that there's no score. This score is relative to that person. Mm-hmm. It's not even a score. I, I, in fact, I say it often. We're not. There's no percentile that I'm going to put you on. There's no chart I'm going to put you on. I'm not going to compare you, can compare you to LeBron James if you're, you know, whatever the case is. It's like I want to know where you are and where you want to go, and this is going to help create that roadmap. And you said it so perfectly. We can actually reset biological potential by understanding what's happening now. That 25-year-old who has a who, who has a, a right-to-left imbalance. What would that fix in 15 years' time of continual non-action on that imbalance? It could have been an. It, I mean, who knows, right? It could have been nothing, right? It could have been nothing. They could have never worn their seatbelt and never get into an accident. Right. They're fine, exactly. But the, that's not the point. Our job mm-hmm. is to prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. That's what a functional trainer does. We prepare for everything. How does one go, there's coaches or trainers out there listening to this, therapists out there, even just people that are going, I actually want to know how to audit my body. Like we're biased in what we see, but we also use this foundation tool to create our own assessments and to right. work with each individual's function. We yeah. got somebody who's just trying to travel and be in less pain while somebody's trying to be a badass in the football field as a center. And we got somebody who's trying to be a basketball star. And we got somebody who's um, just wanting to play catch with their kids or mm-hmm. just walk upstairs or hike. Um, how does one go about kind of g- developing a thought process or kind of understanding and unlocking this cheat code for your eyes to see deeper into what's really going on in the matrix? Yeah, this is something that no matter what, I th- really believe takes mentorship. I honestly, it's an, uh, I said it to you a long time ago. I said, CJ, it took me three years to start seeing what I knew was there. And you looked at me and said, oh, that's funny. It took me about eight months. And still still growing, though. <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. still getting better. And what I realized is why did it take me three years, but why did it take maybe Gary Gray 15 years? Right. Because he taught me his cheat codes. And retrospectively, I taught you, in a sense, cheat codes. Mm-hmm. So it's, the, it's that whole process of sharing. Wait a minute. Look how the ankle moves now. Not then. doesn't matter then, but now. And look how that ankle is in alignment to the hip now. Those little things really make it so much better in terms of passing along information. So get a mentor. And this is where I'm going to plug it. MDMC, Multidimensional Movement Coaching, is a mentorship that helps you pass along information at a much faster pace. Why do we hire coaches? To learn faster. To make good practice better. Versus hoping our bad practice doesn't make us worse. Practice better. 
And a coach allows you to do that. And that's why we have coaches in every aspect of our lives. That's why we don't we go to the dentist. That's why we do all these things. So we hire a coach to help us out with these processes. And it's a freaking awesome process because it's just going to transform the way your eyes see movement because it shows you all the lenses. Uh, thanks for plugging the MDMC too because we're enrolling people till October 4th. So get on the sign-up list for that. Yeah, this is on current day 2021. So if you're ever, this is in 15 years, years from now, you already missed it. But um, for the time being, we got to get a timestamp on this you thing. Got it, yeah, yep. October 4th, get in there, yo. It's a good time. And you learn a lot. If you're wanting to ask more questions about it, too, reach out to us. Yes, and we also do movement assessments virtually. The coolest thing, it is a 2D screen, but we just change your orientation. And we get to see the whole sphere. Do MDM Sears get a get a discount on 3D maps too? They do. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the perk. Epic, and they get way more than that too. But uh, <laughs> so, if you're listening, to this, you want to assess your own self, or you want to learn an assessment, please reach reach out to us. Um, it's an it's a phenomenal process that we can go through. Uh, both CJ are on Instagram. Go and plug yours, please. Yeah, movement underscore exploration underscore channel. Perfect. And 3D underscore athlete. You can also check out Gymnazo on Instagram, Gymnazo EDU on, on Instagram, gymnazoedu.com. Check out our podcasts on all the podcast stations. Check out our YouTube channel on YouTube where we actually talk about and show in video what we're talking about. This is something that we are so passionate about. And this is what we love about what, how we do do stuff. Our minds are going to change. We're going to think differently as we learn more. But this is the best that we got right now, and uh, I hope this is, I ho- actually hope there's a better movement assessment that comes that comes out. I mean, it's a pretty badass name too. Three D maps, like what the heck does that mean? It's three dimensional movement analysis performance system. Like just that's a mouthful, but if you really think about what that is, a movement analysis performance system. Huh? Maybe I should check out more. Yeah, there's sounds, a lot of details. Sounds in there. pretty uh, cool. Sounds yeah. pretty robust. Sixty six vital motions, mm-hmm. y'all. Every single joint in your body going through three dimensions. It's pretty epic. But yeah, go check that out. Reach out to us. Ask questions. I continue to uh, push you and encourage you to see movement from more lenses and uh, keep sharing your journey as well. It's inspiring and inspires us to do more, see more, and feel more. So appreciate y'all. Michael, I really appreciate you. Always a pleasure chatting with you. All things nerding out on movement. So thank you again. I beg at you, CJ. Pleasure is shared. (laughs) And uh, until next time, y'all. Peace, enjoy, and uh, keep on moving. Cheers. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That's hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnazoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner 
and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.